So in, in a strange way, I think, you know, being queer and feeling different at least started to build a resilience in me. I realized I was just going to have to go my own way, uh, kind of make my own path, as, as I think many kind of gay teenagers do think and, and certainly did think then. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 203. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an awesome interview with Rosie. She is a comedian and author and explored non-monogamy for a little while and is now has taken a bunch of the communication skills she learned in non-monogamy and moved it to a monogamous relationship with, I guess, an open-minded non-monogamous mindset? Yeah. Is that what you would describe? Non-monogamous strategies in a monogamous relationship. Yes. And so it's a fantastic conversation about all of that. And also, as Emma mentioned, she's got a podcast called uh, The Breakup Monologues, which comes after her book, also called The Breakup Monologues. And her first book is called Is Monogamy Dead? So a lot of awesome information um, and a f- super fun interview. Links uh, to all of her work are in the show notes. And bef- and, and a huge thank you yes. to her for all the work <laughs> she does and for coming on the show. So thank you, Rosie. Of course. Before we jump into Rosie's episode, we do have our normal quick announcements. And well, But we have a bonus quick announcement. We do. We have a special guest in the studio. We do. Well, we're in her studio. <laughs> Hi. And that's, and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> right. Yes, we're so excited. We are visiting Catherine of Expansive Connection, and she has been on the show. We actually went back and counted nine times. So this is your 10th appearance. Wow, I feel so ha- special. Happy anniversary. Thanks, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hold the record. Most appearances on the show besides Emma and me. Right. Such an honor. Yes. Such so, an honor. Well, I will say thank you for all of the wisdom you've brought to the show. Yeah, it's been amazing. And we're so grateful that you've been such an integral part of our show. And we were, you know, traveling and doing some house sitting and we happened to be in your neck of the woods and came and visited. And we're so excited. We spent the day yesterday out on the river kayaking. And that was amazing with you and your husband and two other partners of your husband and yours. So it was fantastic. It was such a fun ethical non-monogamous day it right. was just everybody <laughs> together and having known you all for what three years now yeah and finally getting to hug you i mean that was pretty awesome i know we yeah. haven't met in person till just now it was so fun <laughs> and it was fun because uh, my husband who some of you may remember ray um our episode number 57 amazing <laughs> and um and both of our other partners that went went kayaking with us were both just like we feel like Finn and Emma are long lost friends. I was like, I know, right? They're just so easy and wonderful to hang out with. So we're so glad you're here and guests in our home and got to show you our neck of the woods. It was really fun. Yeah, we've, I mean, I was thrilled. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. So much I, emotion I, in I, your I, voice. <laughs> quit, quit harassing you. I can give you shit. I'm still waiting for my hug, by the way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I got at least one. 
You got way more than one hug. And right. if you ever want trail mix, you got to steal Finn's trail mix. It's yes. just the best. On the oh. river, so good. Also not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> no, actual trail mix. <laughs> so, so one of the really exciting things about this is actually tomorrow, well, yesterday... <laughs> tomorrow today but yesterday tomorrow well you're really getting <laughs> this is coming out on wednesday october 13th <laughs> and that's tonight we're doing the atlanta meet and greet yes i think i confused everybody you did so yes tonight we have a meet and greet in atlanta and Catherine is going to be there yes i'm so excited it's actually my whole expansive connection coaching team we're all going to be there and so we're going to get to meet some of the wonderful um participants in your meet and greet and your patreon community and we are all so excited about the work you do to help normalize this fantastic lifestyle that we lead so we're we're just thrilled that i'm I'm thrilled that my whole team gets to be here and meet you guys and to get to meet some of the people that follow you we're so excited it's going to be awesome and if you want to know more or come sign up and come join us tonight go to our website normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the community events tab you'll find all of the information for atlanta there also while you're there we have other upcoming meet and greets in st petersburg on Florida on October 27th from 6.30 to 9 p.m. And then we also have a virtual meet and greet coming up on October 26th from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, and one other event that's coming up in Atlanta actually this this coming weekend, the weekend of the 14th to the 17th, is Frolicon. We're not going to be able to make it, unfortunately, but we are sort of we wanted to pitch this because one of the organizers and also the president of Atlanta Polyamory meetup group and atlantapolyamory.org is uh, pretty integral in Frolicon, and they're super excited about that. And also, they have a meet and greet tomorrow night, so that would be Thursday, October 14th. 14th. I should have looked that up before I started talking about it. <laughs> it's right, it, huh? right here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still learning all my numbers. So, yeah, so we just wanted to throw that out there. We're not really affiliated, and we can't make it, unfortunately, but we're super excited and just to have more resources out there. And so definitely check that out. Ways to sign up for that are um, on our website at normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and you can click on the show notes for this episode, or you can go to atlantapolyamory.org and learn about that. So check that out. Awesome resource, and thank you to them for doing all the work that they do as well. And while you're on your website, your website, while you're on our website, you can go to the contact us button, send us an email, send us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from all of you. And with that, do you have anything else? I don't know. What about you, Catherine? You got anything else? Just I hope that um, all of your listeners get a chance to meet you guys and have your fantastic hugs and maybe share some trail mix and a beer sometime because it's been really fantastic for us. Thank you. We are so thankful to be here. And are so grateful for this connection. Mm-hmm. An expansive connection. It's so expansive. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> also, side note, links to Catherine's business as well will be in the show notes. If you're interested in finding her work, go check it out. And with that, let's go talk to Rosie. Well, welcome to the show, Rosie. We're excited to talk to you today. And thank you so much for being here. Oh, well, thank you. It's it's lovely to meet you all the way from London here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a bit later on your end of the world, but nevertheless, we're excited. And we would love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself for us because we just met you about 10 minutes ago and uh, for the listeners who met you about 17 seconds ago. 
<laughs> yes, hello. Gosh, it's quite a new relationship, isn't it? Uh, it is, brand relation- new. <laughs> new relationship energy is all buzzing around. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Rosie and I am a comedian based in the UK and I have been investigating the psychology of love and relationships for my comedy shows for the past 10 years or so. And that has taken me on quite a journey that has taken a more serious turn and a more thoughtful and deeper turn, as well as just the sort of pure fun of performance and exploring ideas on stage. And this particularly began when I took a show to the Edinburgh Fringe called Is Monogamy Dead? in 2013, when I was really looking at my life as a serial monogamist and really looking at what our conception of monogamy in our modern day society really was and whether it needed a bit of a a revamp and rethink and, and whether it needed to be redefined a little. So I interviewed a number of friends who were opening up their relationships and who were becoming part of the poly community and I was really excited to discover a whole new world of thinking about relationships differently and more consciously and compassionately and I was really excited by the the kind of level of communication that was going on among my friends who were poly in in some way or non-monogamous and I was really excited about, firstly, about trying non-monogamy for myself, and then latterly about how I could go back to monogamy, but actually incorporate some poly values. So in a strange kind of way, I think you can sort of simultaneously be mono and poly. I don't think they're necessarily complete polar opposites. I think you can be in a monogamous relationship in the way that society would define it um, in that maybe you're sexually exclusive. But I also think you can have a lot of poly values about how you go about that. Maybe you have other important emotional connections with with other people. I mean, all of us have friends, right? You know, and and other people that we we love and care about and well, actually non-humans as well. We 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 have a dog (laughs) and two cats and those relationships are very important too. And um you know, I think there are ways of thinking about relationships that the poly community does really well, but that we probably need to incorporate into our monogamous connections also. So I guess that's where I've, I've kind of been coming from. And it was really inspired by investigating something for, for my work as a comedian, as a performer, as a writer. And that has really taken on this kind of huge life because um, Is Monogamy Dead? The comedy show became my first book, which was published all around the world. And I narrated the audio book as well. And then I started thinking more about breakups as well and how we can do those more consciously and compassionately and how polyamory informs the conversation about breakups and how when we have more ethical breakups like a sort of conscious uncoupling model of breakups how it is a sort of poly breakup in a sense because we are remaining friends or remaining in close contact with that person and maintaining some kind of connection with them because we shared that important history and we value that so that led to me doing a podcast called the breakup monologues which is also now a book so it's funny how I guess my creative work has informed this real journey that I've been on in my personal life and how I've moved from 
a relationship where very tentatively we were talking about opening it up because we had a lovely connection, um, but perhaps it had become less sexual than maybe we would have wanted. And I think in quite a, a sort of sexual and sexually driven society where the, the sort of discourse about sex is so vivid and strong and there is this kind of thinking that if you're not having sex, you're relationship is somehow bad or wrong and that you should leave it um you know I really wanted to explore how to have some connection with with a sexuality with my sexuality as as well as maintaining a relationship that had lots of wonderful things about it even if maybe we didn't have that deep deep strong sexual connection and I think that was a really interesting question for me was how that seems to almost be the most important thing that, that, you know, in our society, we place this really, really high value on that sort of erotic and romantic and sexual type of love and that type of energy, which doesn't always last forever. That, that really energized state in a relationship is often, you know, the early part of it and then it fades a little. So it leaves us with an interesting question about how we categorize and value the other stages of love, the other parts of the love that go into connecting with a partner, the companionship, the friendship. Um, so yeah, ultimately the relationship I was in when I started on this journey um, did consciously um, and amicably end and we are still friends and uh, I do still often see my ex and uh, she gets on well with my with my current partner as well and yeah we all hang out and and she's just met somebody new and we all it's actually an old friend of mine so that kind of makes it all quite interesting and it's you know it's fun to all hang out and so um yeah so ultimately I came back into a monogamous relationship but I think with a whole load of new information about how I want it to be in a relationship and communicate yeah. yeah. Thank you for all of that. That was a, a <laughs> wonderful um, introduction and overview, over, overview. And there's so much that we can dig into there. Uh, I think what would be helpful is to hear a little bit about maybe your history of what was <laughs> what have your relationships looked like up until you started down that um, the breakup monologues path back in 2013 and and kind of an overview, I guess, of your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess the really critical thing that people may well have picked up on already is that I'm a gay woman and that my relationships have been with women. And that, I think, has hugely informed how I've gone about relationships and dating and love. And I came out, uh, so I'm 50 now, I've just uh, recently turned 50. And so I came out... Uh, right at the end of the 1980s when I was like 18, 19 years old. And I'm sure it was the same for you there, but that was um, (laughs) a pretty homophobic decade. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Things were not really ideal for queer people. Um, We had very, very homophobic policies brought in by our government. You were not allowed to talk about gay families or being gay at all in schools um you know it was thought that that would sort of corrupt young children um so there was there was this real backdrop of of real homophobia and so 
I was, I guess, you know, in the closet at school and really dealing with a lot of angst about feeling different and feeling like I was, you know, something that was seen as bad or wrong. Uh, but luckily, my mum, sadly, she's no longer around, but uh, she was quite a progressive feminist woman um, and who, you know, always said that she might have been a lesbian in a different era. Um, so she was pretty cool about it and pretty embracing, almost to the point that I have chatted about her in my comedy shows and, <laughs> you know, said how embarrassing it was that, that she embraced it so wholeheartedly, you know, and was running around <laughs> telling all the neighbours and all her friends that her daughter was a lesbian and was so excited about it, um, <laughs> which, which was very much sort of at odds with this very homophobic time. Um, so... So, yeah, and she, she used to tell me about her close female friendships as well and her friend Joan that she'd been very close to, you know, who she'd often been on holiday with. And um, and then when you're a teenager, you don't want to sort of hear your parents talking about stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting um, how I think being gay you know, made me feel like I, I already had a, a sense that, that love, relationships, dating were quite challenging and difficult, um, <laughs> you know, uh, which I think in some ways does prepare you a little bit for the challenging, bumpy road ahead. It's interesting how I talk to heterosexual friends and, you know, if they've met someone when they're a teenager and everything's just been a breeze, they're suddenly really shocked if they have a divorce or have a problem when they reach midlife um, because things have always been felt so easy. Um, so in, in a strange way, I think, you know, being queer and feeling different at least started to build a resilience in me. I realized I was just going to have to go my own way, uh, kind of make my own path as, as I think many kind of gay teenagers do think and, and certainly did think then. Um, so I guess you start to make your own rules. And I think sometimes being creative like that about relationships can be, can be interesting. Um, and maybe that's why so many queer people are very open to the ideas around non-monogamy, um, because you've already sort of made some kind of jump away from the heteronorm and, you know, the, the sort of traditional structures maybe of marriage and biological families, nuclear families. So, you know, maybe you're sort of open to new ideas and structures and concepts. So, yeah, I guess when I went away to university, I had a lot of kind of crushes, unrequited crushes on um, on women <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, didn't, didn't necessarily have great success. I sort of would still try dabbling with dating boys, even though I knew that wasn't really for me. But you know, there were some nice boys around and, <laughs> you know, sometimes you feel like you should give it a go um, if there are nice boys who are interested. But, yeah, I do remember vividly at the time in the UK in the early 1990s, there was still this idea around about political, lesbian, political lesbianism and this sense that there were feminist women who were not gay but who perhaps for a time uh, would define as gay and live as gay as a political statement, um, which I found really confusing when I was young, <laughs> because I was yeah. so madly, <laughs> I was madly in lust with one of these women, and she had a girlfriend, but you know, ultimately, she wasn't even, you know, sort of gay in that 
kind of pure animal sex drive biology kind of sense anyway so it, it was really really confusing and you know so when she left college she married a man um and so i think all of this kind of backdrop of what was going on politically was was quite confusing and <laughs> it was hard for me to find my way in the world i think until i came to london which was after i graduated so this was around about uh, 1993 when I came down to London and found the queer community in London because I'd always grown up and gone studied, uh, gone to school and college in the north of England, which, you know, um, there's wonderful, wonderful cities in the north where I've spent time, uh, like Liverpool and Manchester, which do have some queer culture um, and certainly more now. But back then, really everything gay seemed to be in London and I thought I had to get to London and so yeah arriving in the big city and going to uh, London Women's Centre and sort of queer choirs and and women's voice workshops and uh, feminist book groups and discussion groups and queer drama groups and, and getting involved with all these kind of queer cultural activities really started to make me feel like the queer community was like a, a family, an alternative type of family. Um, you know, the writer Armistead Maupin talks about logical family as opposed to biological family. And so I'm really interested in that idea that, um, you know, we, our friends can be our family. We can create this alternative type of family if we maybe feel that we don't have you know, large traditional family units. I'm actually an only child, so I, I don't have siblings. And, um, you know, my mum my died when I was still in my 20s. So I suppose I don't feel I have that big sort of biological family unit. Um, but I think there are different ways of thinking about family. And so I think that really began for me when I arrived in London in the 1990s. And there were just so many interesting queer people doing creative, interesting things, political things, activist-y things. And there were, you know, there were older dykes who were really interesting and inspiring and they would share their stories with younger, you know, baby lesbians like me. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and now I'm one of, you know, now I'm one of the older queer women, you know, and I can hopefully help and guide younger women, although it's such a confusing world now. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it was that was a really interesting time, I think, to get to London and to start having relationships. And it was really in the mid-90s, in my mid-20s, when I met my first serious girlfriend. And uh, we lived together in North London and had a really fun existence for a good few years. Um, I had a band and she sang backing vocals in my band and we had a really creative time. And, yeah life life was fun although yeah we had to kind of grow up quickly when 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 my mom had cancer and, and sadly passed away and we we also had a terrible house fire at the time and, and lost loads of our stuff and our belongings so there was this real kind of sense of loss uh, around that time and ultimately the relationship didn't survive but we really did what many queer women did at the time and held on to a wonderful friendship which was so important and I, I think I think women often do that, don't they? Well, I know, like, just from our our times listening to to Dan Savage, right? And, yeah. And he talks a lot about, you know, in the gay community, right? When you break up, like, you there's not 
millions and millions of gay people in your town. So you like the community is small. So remaining friends is important because otherwise you're going to sort of be ostracized from a small community. And so it's not uncommon for you to stay friends with your ex or your exes to then start dating. And it's a, it's a smaller pool of people. And so I think there is some, you know, some necessity there, right? Like in, for us, like as relatively straight people, like if you break up, like there's, you know, roughly another 3 billion straight women or straight guys out there to that fit the bill, but it's a different, it's a, just a different pool of people. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I agree <laughs> so, that, that there's de- certainly that sense of necessity, I think of staying friends, particularly when the world was more hostile, I think to gay people. I think, I think we definitely felt we had to maintain a type of connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for support too, right? Like, yeah, there's there's no reason to turn on each other if everyone's already turned on you, right? And so I, I think that's something that like, I don't know, that we in the straight community, I suppose, should, that's something that I think is valuable as well, right? Like just because you break up doesn't mean you have to become enemies. And I, I agree. And that's, that's something I, th- I think is really interesting because I do think that you know, that's that's sort of a poly approach to breaking up, right? Because you're sort of maintaining a type of relationship, a type of connection with with the person. And I feel like that does count as a relationship because this is something else that I've been thinking about a lot is that how much we really define relationships by whether you're having sex or not with that person. And I'm not sure how much I agree with that because there's so much other stuff that, you know, goes towards building and creating a relationship, all that companionship and love and mutual support and connection and history and shared jokes and <laughs> memories. Um, so, you know, arguably, I think it's still a relationship if you, even if you've changed the nature of it. So you've defined mm-hmm. that it's no longer romantic and sexual. Um, you know, I, I don't know. At what point does it switch off from being a relationship and become a friendship? I'm not sure it's as clear cut as it's being on one day, one morning when you decide you've broken up. <laughs> uh, I, certainly my experience is that there's much more a gradual kind of transition period. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For I think, sure. I think that's, uh, you know, that black and white piece of the versus the transition piece is a really important thing to, to mention, like you said, because it's so easy to think, oh, we're broken up. Things have to switch like immediately, but that in, we're all human. We all have emotions and those transitions take time, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They really, really do. Um, and I think, I think there are stages in my life, even when I was certainly assumed I was a serial monogamist, there were probably stages in my life when, you know, it wasn't strictly monogamous because I would begin a new relationship that was really exciting and thrilling and sexual, but still have close contact and hang out a lot with with an ex, you know. So it was almost like having two partners, you know, just two different types of relationship, two different types of energy. And honestly, I quite enjoyed those times where there was, you know, a sort of transition. Um, I mean, the only rule that was clear cut, I suppose, was, you know, who I was actually having a sexual connection with. But I'm not sure it is all as clear cut as that. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And you had said earlier that the serial monogamy kind of blended into the 
the time frame when you started talking to your friends about non-monogamy and you had a series of friends who were exploring that had that been something that like you had like heard of or contemplated or was you were sort of on the serial monogamy like break up with one partner start a new relationship maybe there's a little bit of overlap but not a lot and then like at what point did you learn that like oh there's this way to to maybe do both at the same time well yeah i think it was i was just um like searching for various things on the internet just around the areas of relationships and if you're not having sex in a relationship um and uh, platonic relationships and what counts as a relationship and there were just various questions I was typing in and trying to get answers about you know this how to I guess kind of reconcile this kind of lifestyle that I'd been having where it, it felt wasteful to sort of discard a relationship and then move on to the next one even though to some extent I was not doing that because I was maintaining friendships with ex-partners but it still felt like this somewhat exhausting kind of cycle of right now we're starting again with somebody new um you know particularly when you're burdened with you know the monogamous sort of language and hyperbole about you know well this one is going to be the one that you stay with forever and you're going to get married to and and have a an amazing home and and family with and and this you know you're going to have your, your wedding anniversary gifts are going to go up in a kind of ascending hierarchy, um, you know, from paper up to silver and gold. And the longer you've been together, the more celebrated your relationship will be. And and all of this kind of language we have just feels very, well, kind of oppressive. And <laughs> it put it heaps all this pressure onto the new relationship because you do think, well, this this is the one and this has to last forever and, you know, we mustn't ever fancy anyone else and <laughs> and all of these things that are not really that likely or possible, you know. I mean, yes, you can stay together, but that's probably because you've negotiated your way around the fact that you often do fancy other people and what are you going to do about that? So, yeah, so I think I was I was really questioning this way of being, way of living, way of having relationships and typing all these questions and asking, you know, asking the internet for advice, and articles started coming up about non-monogamy. Um, and there's actually a friend of mine, a journalist I know here in the UK, a woman called Helen Croydon, who has written a book uh, called Screw the Fairy Tale, um, and sort of very much along the sort of lines I was, I was thinking of about how, you know, the fairy tale is a bit misleading and and sometimes can feel a bit disappointing. <laughs> and so I, I came up, um, I found some articles that she had written and, and we were in touch a little bit and I ended up chatting to her a bit and then finding other articles and um, yes, stumbling on Dan Savage, who you've mentioned and, and his work and, and lots of other people and started um, actually getting books out of my local library at the time. And there's a funny story actually where I looked up the book Opening Up, which is, of course, a fairly famous non-monogamy text. And it came up on the library search system next to a book called Opening Up the Bible, <laughs> 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 which I, I just kind of imagined the author of that book probably not being that excited about being next to a non-monogamy book. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to say, the, the, the person who bought the Bible probably was not as thrilled as Tristan Termino was about putting hers next to the, the yeah. Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're standing at the bookstore thinking, hmm, which one do I pick up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, and I, I, I thought opening up was a lovely introduction to the ideas around non-monogamy. And also I think what was particularly fascinating to me in that book was that there were examples and case studies of people who had a platonic primary relationship and their sexual relationships were outside of that with other partners, um, maybe secondary partners if they had a primary structure. But I thought, well, that's really interesting because almost the in inverted commas problem that i was experiencing in my sort of rapid rotation of serial monogamy was that the sort of sexual aspect of each relationship would sort of die down after a few years after maybe three or four years it really felt like we became friends and i know this happens to all the kind of permutations of relationships, whatever people's genders and sexual orientations are, but it's it's particularly sort of a bit of a cliche in the lesbian community. There's actually this um, <laughs> this phrase, lesbian bed death, <laughs> which is not that helpful. But <laughs> it's kind of funny yeah, it definitely well. helps put away the stereotypes if you get to name it just like that, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a rock band called Lesbian Bed Death. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no did not know that. they have um, <laughs> song titles like goth girls are easy and and um, there's one called she wants it just not with you <laughs> uh, oh um, boy <laughs> so yeah but i do think it, it does seem to be something that that does seem to happen quite a lot um in relationships between between women um and there may be something about I don't know, that women do reach that stage of being companions and friends more quickly. Who knows? Um, but I suppose I felt that, you know, a way around that sense of, you know, getting to that stage and then having to break up would be if you said, well, let's, you know, continue to be each other's person, each other's rock, each other's support, each other's you know, main partner in life. But, you know, can we maybe have a an open arrangement where we we can see other people and everybody knows what's happening, everybody's happy, everybody's okay, everything is consensual, everything is agreed. You know, everyone discusses boundaries, their needs, their feelings about it. Um and I sort of thought that could be a way forward for me was with my partner at the time to sort of have her as my primary, but for us to celebrate our platonic connection and and perhaps have other lovers outside of that. I think in reality, when I was kind of loosely dating and, and going out to sort of meet people, um, I realized that that doesn't necessarily work so well for me, even though that sounded like in, in hypothetical terms, it sounded like a really ideal model. It sounded great. And I know so many gay men, uh, friends who, who do this. Um, I think I found out that I'm pretty bad at casual sex. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've kind of talked about and written about this sort of for comedic effect sometimes because maybe I'm a bit British and awkward about it. Um, but also more seriously, I have realized that I'm 
I think, demisexual, so sort of on the asexuality spectrum, but I can be very, very sexual with the right person if, you know, I really feel a strong connection, a romantic and erotic connection with them. But it's very hard for me to just sort of switch that to somebody else. Um, So I think, you know, it's not necessarily easy for me to work with that model where I have you know, my primary partner and then, you know, have more, I suppose, you know, often people would have maybe more casual partners that they didn't see long term. Um, you know, obviously there are lots and lots of different ways of, of doing this, but but that, that model I was looking at initially, um, I think would be quite difficult for me because of the way my sexuality works. And I don't think I could have sort of more fleeting connections as, as my sexual partners. Um, so I was sort of thinking about that and realized that that probably wouldn't work so well for me. Um, I, you know, I still think, um, you know, I could be poly if there was a way of thinking about it with, you know, kind of maybe other partners who were asexual. Um, and so, but we're happy to sort of define a romantic relationship as a platonic one. But I think it's not necessarily easy to find that. Um, and when I was kind of going to poly groups and poly meetups here in London, um, even though there was, you know, wonderful kind of communication and there was such an interesting kind of discussion, I did feel that um, the discussion was around relationships that would have some sexual element. Um, and so... I, th- I think the sex part of this is is really complicated, and that's sort of something we still haven't entirely figured out how to navigate and communicate around. Sex is so, uh, you know, what what turns us on is so unique to us, um, and in fact, I um, partly for my for my work for something fun to write about, but also because I was really curious, I ended up. Uh, going to a sex lab experiment you know one of these experiments you've probably read about them where you go and watch erotica sitting in the lab and your arousal is measured and um (laughs) and and stuff so that was a really really interesting experience for me because i do think our sort of social and political and cultural labels that we attach to our sexual orientation do maybe differ from the sort of animal instincts that we have and i think for me I was quite interested and intrigued in, you know, looking at naked men, for example, even though I don't generally have relationships with men. But it's so interesting, I think, to learn more about our sexuality. And I do think that just, uh, you know, talking to people within the poly community and going to kind of poly discussion groups and relationship anarchy meetings. And I even performed comedy at a sex party, which was really, really fun. (laughs) Very, very fun and up for it audience. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I bet that would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, but I think that all just really opened my mind to understanding myself better. And I think that's what I really love about poly is that there is an emphasis on, you know, getting to know you and your partner and partners as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you had said, I mean, thank you for all that. It's amazing. And you had said that you kind of hypothetically tried 
non-monogamy with a part with the partner you were with when you started kind of researching this. And I was curious because you 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 had also said in in a minute ago that like you didn't think that the casual sex would work and different things you didn't think would work. Were they things that you and this partner like attempted to try or were they things that you just you talked a lot about? Like what did the hypothetical exploration of this look like? And like even those conversations, right? Like it's not just a you decision. It's like a you too. You both have to make this decision together. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And um, yeah, we definitely had some interesting discussions across the kitchen table where it was, you know, um, initially my partner was really unsure about it and, you know, and we were both unsure about how our friends in our sort of peer group would be, if we were going to open up our relationship, you know, we could imagine sort of being crossed off dinner invitation lists, you know, in our sort of very polite middle-class lesbian middle-aged kind of circles, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, because a lot of women younger than us who maybe you've broader definitions for everything. They might define themselves as queer rather than lesbian, and they might say they're poly rather than mono. Um, they would be pretty cool about all this, but I think in our immediate friendship group, it would still be <laughs> quite alien, you know? Um, so yeah, we were definitely not sure. And it was hypothetical, you know, if we were seeing somebody else, what would the rules be? Would you bring someone back here? No, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Um, you know, would you, um, yeah. And, and though you sort of start negotiating those kind of things and, um yeah there was a point at which we you know said that our relationship was no longer sexual and we were sort of able to if we wanted to kind of sort of connect with other people um and I did have a dating profile online which was a bit ambiguously worded um but I kind of and I got some quite spiky messages because I was open. I mean, I wasn't ambiguous about the fact that I had a primary partner, um, but I sort of wanted to make it clear in my profile I was open to either maybe a sort of romantic connection or platonic connections that would be important. Um, and But I was looking for other connections outside of that primary relationship, but that primary relationship was important to me and was something I valued um but yeah there were a few kind of uh kind of you want to have your cake and eat it kind of messages and stuff from I guess more traditionally monogamous women um so it was kind of complicated to even sort of start looking I think um but yeah, you know, th- at some of my gigs out and about, there were little flirtations and conversations and, and um, you know, brief, brief snogs, but nothing, you know, that, that was really like actually seeing somebody actively. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's fascinating. Again, I think this is to me where people say, oh, well, then it's not, then you're not really non-monogamous, but like if you've had the conversations and you both have agreed that like, okay, well, if you want to find somebody, go ahead. And if I want to find somebody, I can go ahead. Like, just because you're not actively like in an orgy doesn't mean you're not like, that doesn't mean you're not non-monogamous. Like you, you've, you've had the conversations, you've decided like, if you find somebody, 
then let's explore it. Like to me, yeah, it's not about like the physical acts you're doing. It's like where you're at in the mindset. And Mm -hmm. so I think, yeah, it's powerful. And thank, thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, Thank you very much as well. I, I'm curious, where are you at now in your relationships and, uh, what do you see your relationships looking like moving forward? Well, um, I am now engaged to be married, which is like, (laughs) congratulations, something I never thought I would say. Thank you. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so my partner that I met after I had been, um, experimenting with non-monogamy and, and sort of thinking about it um, quite quite seriously. Um, it was interesting on our first date, I had just finished writing my first book, Is Monogamy Dead? And she asked uh, about the book. And when I said what the title was, she was a bit like, oh, um, yeah, well, yeah, I'm monogamous, you know, you know, and, and I was okay with that because I think I had learned enough about myself to realize that you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for multiple sexual partners. Like, you know, I, I do have this one friend who who is Polly and, and she has kind of a boyfriend in every town where she does her comedy gigs. And, you know, and they all are happy and know the situation. And that's great. You know, they have other partners too. And I think that's fantastic if, you know, that is what you want and if that is fulfilling for you. But I think I'd realised that, you know, wasn't quite what would work for me. Um, so. So yeah, I was I was cool with that, and um, you know we have a really a really healthy and normal and kind of good relationship. But you know, I say normal. I mean, what the hell is normal? But I say that because I'm also quite honest whenever I speak about the relationship and write about it. That you know, we have arguments and we have days when we're annoyed and fed up with each other, just like any you know, any partnership, any couple or thruple or, you know, group of people who are together, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's it's spiky and challenging and difficult. So, um, but I think we're able to communicate about it and we're able to heal from arguments. And I think that's really important. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a lovely relationship. And um, we have our family with our dog and our two cats and, um so we yeah we we are planning to get married next year which i mean that's kind of something i'm i'm surprised by in a way because of course initially i thought that would never be available to, available to me rather anyway um and then when it we it was legally available in the uk i wasn't even sure if that was something that we should embrace because perhaps it seemed like we were you know it, it was this kind of patriarchal construct and and you know maybe it wasn't very feminist or cool to get married but now I kind of think well maybe you know if it's available and you have a partnership that you want to celebrate in that way and you know legally obviously you're going you know you're going to have some rights that you might not have if you weren't married um and and you want to be able to have a party and celebrate your relationship um and you also want to be visible to other young queer people and say look you know, you, you can do this, you can have a relationship and celebrate it in this way that has historically only been available to heterosexual people. Um, you know, we actually did this photo shoot for, um, a magazine here. Well, I think you have it in the U S as well. Good housekeeping magazine. And, um, (laughs) 
I wrote an article yes. about about lesbian weddings and and they did a photo shoot with us and stuff um and like dolled us up and and we had all our little makeup and hair done and <laughs> and it was quite fun kind of writing this really quite queer article for you know what it, I thought of as really quite a tr- traditional magazine yeah for sure and I, I think you know along those same lines like what are some of the things that you the the mindsets and the the practices you brought from your your research into non-monogamy what ha- have you brought with you forward into this monogamous relationship and in maybe what ways have you seen that uh, help or improve your monogamous dynamic by incorporating some of the mindsets that you you brought along i think it's all about communication um and respect and trust and it's just things like i mean when i was in my former monogamous world life um things like consent and boundaries were just never really discussed and they so should be but it was really only when i went and did comedy at a sex party and we were given a list of rules on the door that this is what you must do if you want to be in this space you know and not be kind of scent packing (laughs) you need to respect people's boundaries respect other people you need to practice safe sex you need to make sure that everything you're doing you know is consensual and agreed and um there were just these, these list of rules that i thought oh my god you know actually those rules are not just for now they're not just for you know this situation in a sex party actually they're really important rules for at any time, you know, when you're in a monogamous relationship. Um, and I think that was really, really important. That was actually a big kind of learning experience, even though, you know, I'd kind of gone along there thinking, you know, it was just a really fun evening. But actually, I, I really took something on board from particularly the kind of rules and boundaries that were agreed on being in the space. And also, they had a PAL system where you had to have another person vouch for your behavior. So you couldn't enter without someone else who says, well, look, if they get drunk or rowdy or are being weird, I'll, I'll take them home, you know? So I think there's that sense of accountability and responsibility for one another and looking out for each other in a sense. Um, and yeah, I think, that does chime with all my values about community that I was talking at right at the beginning of this conversation and kind of queer family and queer people looking out for each other. Um, So I do think in a sense, there's, you know, as a similar kind of sense of community and connection and togetherness in the poly community as the, as I have often found in, in the queer community. And there's that sense that, you know, even if you don't, you know, come from the normal, in inverted commas again, kind of family background, you know, or have the traditional kind of, uh, you know, kind of set up in the way that you are in your sexual orientation, in your gender presentation, or, you know, whether or not you're neurotypical or all of these things. Um you know, it, it, it's okay. There's somewhere to belong. And I think that's what I particularly love about both of these communities. And that's a big parallel that I see. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that's beautiful. And you touch on so many aspects that are, are important in, in relationships in general. And I think what's, 
what's neat to me about this conversation is thinking through how monogamy and non-monogamy, both of those can impact each other and impact relationships and overall improve um, or may not necessarily improve, but force you to think about things differently. And, and by that exercise of just thinking about things differently can really open your mind in, in relationships in general. Well, and two, not even thinking about it, but talking about it, right? Like yeah. you and the, and your, your now fiance, you had a conversation about monogamy and non-monogamy that most people never have. They, they find somebody, they get together and both of them just assume we're on the monogamy route. And, and you're like, well, Hey, I have this book. And, and she's like, Oh, well, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm monogamous. And then you have this conversation like, Oh, well, what is that? Okay. With you? Is that okay with her? You talk about something that most people just assume in a relationship. So I think there's just so much there that's of value. Even if you're not quote unquote, actively non-monogamous, you're having so many conversations that most people don't, and it sets you up to be on the same page with each other. Yeah, I agree. Um, Monogamy or sort of the old version of monogamy I knew was so loaded with assumption and secrets. And yeah, (laughs) I totally, I totally agree with that, um, that it's almost this redefined version of, of monogamy that I've moved forward with. And it's really been this experience that has opened up my mind to that. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, maybe it's a good place to give you the opportunity to talk about how you've taken everything you learned and you've put it into multiple books, to comedy shows, into a podcast, and maybe talk a little bit about what all of those different mediums look like and um, what people can kind of expect from that. Yeah, well... Like I say, my first book is Monogamy Dead, um, was a mixture of kind of comedy and memoir and some psychology and sociology and a little bit influenced by Tristan and uh, opening up. I did my own survey um, for the book, actually asking what counts as cheating. And I, I asked people if they'd ever discussed monogamy. You know, you were just saying most people don't even have that conversation. And yeah, half of the people who responded to my survey had never even discussed it. Um, And what was interesting was the monogamous um, respondents to the survey who, you know, answered the question, what counts as, in inverted commas, cheating, Um, that, you know, those um, results were quite diverse too. So it wasn't just sex or kissing and physical acts. It was the emotional spectrum as well. So falling in love with somebody else, that kind of thing. Um, so I don't, I don't know how you even police that really. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, so that book came out in 2017 and I narrated the audio book as well. And then I began my podcast, the breakup monologues, because I'd always been really, really quite obsessed with breakups and how they are good and terrible at the same time. They can sort of be quite liberating and you can experience what I call breakup energy, you know, where you can really go out on new adventures and creative projects and have an exciting time dating again and and finding your feet again and finding yourself and finding your own voice in a way that you maybe had lost a little in your relationship. Um, so 
yeah, that's when I began the podcast, The Breakup Monologues, where I talk to other comedians, authors, podcasters, academics, interesting people about breakups, heartbreak, how we get over it, um, what the future of breakups might even look like. And also, of course, a little bit about how polyamory alters the conversation about breakups, how we sort of alter that narrative about relationships having failed in inverted commas, if they end and whether we can still, you know, look at a relationship that ends as having been a real success because we've really taken something from it and enjoyed it and and it's thrived and been wonderful for the time that it did last. And I think, you know, again, there are people in the poly community who've had more of that kind of philosophy that I've really learned from. And so eventually I took all that I'd gathered from the podcast and learnt from that and put that into a book called The Breakup Monologues, which uh, came out a couple of months ago in the UK and is now out in the US and Australia and around the world as well. So that kind of takes some of the best um, stories and insights and anecdotes from the podcast and merges it with my own story of trying at last to stay in a relationship, having learnt from my serially monogamous past. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's amazing. And thank you so much for all of the work that you have done, your books and your comedy shows and your podcasts. And it's... Especially the ones at a sex sex party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the comedy shows at a sex party. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to revisit I that in a minute. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I will just say this. we we <laughs> One of the most awkward stand-up comedy routines I've ever seen, right after we graduated college, we did a road trip and we went... And we spent like two days at a nudist resort in Florida. And this guy came in to do stand-up and was looking at me like I'm crazy. No, I remember. She remembers this. <laughs> I, I have incredible amounts of respect for stand-up comedy because I know I have not done it. I've done a little bit of improv. It is incredibly difficult to get up and tell jokes and if people aren't laughing, right? Like I can't imagine how impossible that is. This guy was horrible and then he got pissed at everybody for not laughing so instead of him making jokes he was yelling at the the crowd for not laughing at his jokes and it just got so uncomfortable (laughs) that we had to leave (laughs) so yeah yeah. so i i i imagine doing stand up at a sex party would be uh quite the experience so yeah (laughs) i think that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, did you have questions on that before? No, just a comment about that. <laughs> I'm like getting, I'm getting cringy just thinking about how awkward it was back then. And that was uh, 10 years ago. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I digress. I apologize. Is there anything that we didn't talk about, Rosie, that you wanted to share out into the world that we didn't ask about that you were and just to be clear, links to everything that you just mentioned, all your books, all your po- your podcasts, everything will be in the show notes. People can find you easily. So those will all be there. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, well, no, I think, I think that's great. I think, um, <laughs> I will, uh, I will let you get on with the rest of your day because it's probably, uh, it's still the morning there, I think, um, but we're, uh, yeah, just, just early uh, afternoon. It's actually early afternoon. <laughs> oh, early afternoon. Okay. Well, I'm just, uh, yeah, we're early evening here and, uh, yeah, I'll go and join, join my girlfriend and a friend has just popped over for dinner actually. So <laughs> I'll go okay. and uh, see what's going on. <laughs> 
but Perfect. thank you well, so much. It's been really lovely. And thank you for your podcast and, and uh, you know, putting, putting people's stories out into the world. Uh, so that's great. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing a bit of your story, for all of the work you do, as Emma said. It's amazing. Um, and yeah, just uh, a lot of gratitude for that. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. And we're back. A huge thank you to Rosie for the amazing work that you do and for coming on our show and sharing your story. It was wonderful to talk to you and thank you again. Yeah, as we said earlier, uh, and as Rosie told you about her podcast and her books, definitely check out all of her work. Uh, just we love we love sharing all the fantastic resources that are available. And so, yes, thank you, Rosie, for that. And check it out. Yes. We also wanted to do a huge, huge thank you to our Patreon community. It is an incredible group of people. We're so grateful for all of you. If you are looking for community, we would highly encourage you. We are a little bit biased, but we would highly encourage you to go check out our Patreon community. We have an ongoing chat. We have monthly Q&As. We have women's groups and men's groups, and it's only a couple dollars a month. So if you want to check it out, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Patreon button. Yeah, I would just want to echo Emma's gratitude for that as well. This community has been huge for us in the last couple of years, especially going through COVID and feeling isolated. We knew every day we could jump in and talk with our friends and see them at least once a month on Zoom chats. And yeah, it's just been great. So thank you to all of you for being there for us. And uh, we love watching you all be there for one another. Mm -hmm. If you are getting back out in the world and meeting people in person, and there may be a special connection. <laughs> we highly recommend you get tested for STIs using the service that we use, stdcheck.com. They are an affiliate partner of the show, so you get a $10 discount, which brings the cost of a 10-panel test down to $130. You get your results in a couple of days texted to you, and you can view them in your online portal. It's super easy. It's super fast. We love it. We've been using it for years, and we just can't say enough great things about it. So, we highly encourage you to be a sexual health advocate. Yes, of course. And get tested, know your status, share your status, and spread the good word. So thank you in advance for doing that and for using the links on our website that support the show and help us keep putting out, well, what we think are pretty awesome episodes. Right? Yeah. And just thank you. Thank you so much. To find those links, you can go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the resources tab, or you can look in your podcast player. There are direct links on how to save $10, and again, support your favorite hosts, us. Woohoo! <laughs> Next week, we actually have a bonus episode coming out, and I'm just, we're going to leave it at that. We're going to have to stay tuned and super top secret yeah, bonus it, we're episode. Super excited about it. So just stay tuned. That'll be coming out next week. But we'll also have our normal Wednesday interview. Yeah. Next week's interview is with Jan, who is from Europe. Yes. And he is working with a handful of other people online, building a presence to try to introduce a new flag for polyamory. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, it's a super cool project they're working on and we're excited to get out there and his story is fantastic as well. So we're excited for that. Come back next week yeah. and listen and stay tuned for a special bonus episode coming your way. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening.